Thanks, Amanda. Good morning, everybody. So yesterday, um, I promise you, I had a voice. But I, uh, yesterday afternoon, out of nowhere, just this frog appeared in my throat. And I think it sounds kind of cool. Someone told me that it adds like 10 years of wisdom to me for my voice to sound like this. So <laughs> that means that like, if you're 35 or younger, you definitely have to listen to me, okay? Um, yeah, my name is Wilson. I actually lead School of Kingdom Ministry here, Vineyard Northwest. We're starting September 18th. Uh, and actually next week, we're gonna have applications available. So I'd really encourage you, if you haven't been a part of uh, School of Kingdom Ministry in the past, if you haven't graduated from it yet, check it out. Grab, a, uh, grab one of the little pamphlets, grab an application. We're gonna have info sessions to tell you more about it. I promise you, you will not regret it. Like seriously, um, our worship pastor, Tyler, has even told me that anyone who takes and regrets it, he will refund your tuition. So he's on vacation right now. You'll have to check with him about that uh, when he gets back. But um, yeah, that's actually like the cool thing to do around here right now is to go on vacation. My parents are on vacation. Tyler's on vacation, the worship leader. Um, Luke is on vacation. Sarah Anderson, our kids jam director is on vacation. So uh, I can do anything I want basically. <laughs> like I've just been walking around. Oh, oh no. <laughs> the boss is still here. Dave King's the boss around here, so. No walking around in your underwear or anything like that. Um, so you haven't, my, my dad hasn't been here the past, I think, two weekends now. Thanks, Amanda. And so you guys haven't got to hear a joke in a while. So you guys are like dying to hear a joke, right? If, you're, if it's your first time here, um, you don't know about this corny tradition we have, but my dad, Van Cochran, he's the senior pastor here. He loves to tell jokes when he comes up. So he actually texted me and said, hey, Wilson, I don't think they can go three weeks without a joke. I have some jokes for you to share. So I hope you're ready, okay? So here, I, I got two jokes for us. If you boo after the first one, I won't tell the second one, all right? So two not-so-smart guys went to a movie. The brighter one said, I'll bet you $5 that at the end of the movie, the cowboy jumps on his horse, rides straight into a tree, falls off, and breaks his neck. The other guy said, that's a bet. Sure enough, at the end of the movie, the cowboy jumped on his horse, ran straight into a tree, fell off his horse, and broke his neck. The loser was handing over the $5, and the winner said, I can't take your money. I've already seen this movie. The dumber guy said, so did I, but I didn't think he'd be stupid enough to do the same thing again. <laughs> so the kind of theme of that joke was that they were dumb, right? This next joke, it just gets a little bit worse. So there's a guy working on a ladder on the side of a house. Um, he's pulling out nails from his pouch, hammering, holding them up to the house and pounding them in. You know, he's doing shingles or whatever, installing a gutter. Uh, then he'd pull a nail out, hold it up to the house and throw it over his shoulder. Another guy watched him do this over and over, then asked, why are you throwing all those nails away? He replies, well, about half of them are defective. They put the head of the nail on the wrong end. The guy watching said, what kind of dummy are you? They made those nails for the other side of the house. <laughs> it's just horrible. It's so bad. It's so bad. I'm, I apologize. <laughs> Hey, so uh, this summer, if you haven't been around yet, we've been on um, going through this series called Dynamic Faith. I'm going to continue with that this morning, but I think it's really important, and something we do as a teaching team here is we actually want every message to build on the next. You know, we don't want any of these messages just to stand alone. We want us to be kind of like moving forward with each, with each message. So really quickly... I just want to summarize, maybe not really quickly, but for a moment here, I want to summarize a couple of messages my dad has given, Van, uh, the message Luke gave, and the message Dave gave last week. So, yeah, the, the series is Dynamic Faith, and we're exploring what does it mean to have a dynamic faith? What, what does that look like? And my dad kicked it off. He talked um, from Romans 1.17, where it talks about us going from faith to faith, or from faith for faith. And he really began to explain to us how, the, what, what, you know, that, that's kind of a weird sounding thing, from faith to faith. Like, what does that mean? And he explained to us that, you know, we're actually, when we, we're born again, and when we get saved, we're hardwired for faith. Like, this is part of who we are is we're made to have faith within us. You know, we have Jesus inside of us. 
It says in Hebrews that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. So we have Jesus in us and we have a lot of faith in there, right? Like, um, and so when we say from faith to faith and we say growing in faith, you might kind of start to think like, I need more faith. Or like, I'm not at that level of faith yet. I really don't think that's, um, I don't think that's biblical or that's true. I think that because we're in Jesus, you know, we're seated in the heavenly places. We have Jesus alive in us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God living inside of us. I don't think we're in need of more faith, okay? I think that we grow in our understanding of the faith we already have. And this is really a thing my dad has been hitting on is that when we have those moments of trusting God, it, it aligns us to have, to access more faith that's already within us. Does that make sense? Um, a way I like to think of it, you know, like video games, okay? If you take a, a, you know, a Game Boy game, you know, like Super Mario Brothers or something like that, you pop it in your Game Boy, in that cartridge, in that video game, what, there's like 25 levels or so, you know? I think nowadays, I don't, honestly, I don't play video games a ton, but I, I think video games are changing a little bit. They're kind of more like stories and you kind of navigate them. But when I would play video games, not to make it sound like I'm so old or something, but I just don't play video games anymore. When I used to play video games, they were nearly always level-based, right? So like there's 25 levels or so in the game. You guys agree, like that video game has every level it's ever gonna have in it as soon as you pick it up, right? As soon as you put it in your PlayStation, as soon as you put it in your Game Boy, all the levels that are ever gonna be in that are there, they're present. But you can't just turn the game on and skip to level 17, right? Like first you play level one, conquer that level, then you go to level two, conquer that level, then you go to level three, conquer that level. I think faith is a lot like that. We're preloaded with every level of faith we're ever going to have when we get saved. There's no like extra thing we put in later, oh, to get more faith. When we're, when we're born again, when we trust Jesus with our life, all the faith we're ever going to have is in us. We just learn to unlock it. We learn to renew our mind, to uh, trust God more, to take steps towards him. And you know, with, with video games, if you know anything about video games, usually to get to the next level, there's some kind of task or there's some kind of challenge you have to complete or there's like a boss you have to kill and destroy to get to the next level, right? I have found in my journey in faith that it's very similar, that it's usually some obstacle we face. It's some, um, something coming against us. It's some challenge that when we push on past that, there's more faith unlocked in our life that we didn't know was there. And you know, sometimes in those video games, you play that same boss like 10 times and you keep losing, you keep losing, you keep losing. But eventually you beat him and it's like pure glory that you got to go to level 11 or whatever, right? It's the same thing, my friends. When we push on, when we keep going, we say, I know there's faith in me. I keep going, I keep going. Breakthrough comes. We have to be persistent. We have to keep pushing. And it's... um really an act of trusting God to continue to push. When I was, you know, I've been, I think I've been a Christian. I accepted Jesus into my life when I was like four or five years old. And it really was a sincere thing for me. Um, but until I was about 18, the only faith I really had was the faith that I was saved. Like that's all I understood about Christianity. I had faith, I had belief that I was saved and I wasn't going to hell and that Jesus died for my sins. But that was like all I understood, you know? And how many know there's so much more to the gospel? There's so much more to relationship with Jesus than just being saved from your sins. I didn't understand that. Um, fast forward when I was 18, I'd been living this Christian life where the only point of it was um, just being saved, not going to hell. I didn't, I didn't understand anything more than that really. That was, all, that was all that like my heart gripped. That was all I would say that I had faith for. When I was 18 years old, I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and I was involved with a missions program called Youth of the Mission, YOM. And um, when I was down there, I uh, really started getting confronted with some teaching and with some different influences in my life. And I began to realize, like, there was a relationship in my life that was not healthy, that was, um, you know, like, immoral, wasn't honoring God at all. And I started to realize, man, I need to cut this loose. I need to Break, break this off. If anyone's ever been in that shoes before, you know that's a hard thing. You get a lot of security from the people you align your heart with, especially when it's a romantic thing. So this was a big step for me. I said, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to break this relationship off because I know it's not honoring him. And you know what happened? As soon as, I, as soon as I did that, as soon as I broke that relationship off, I felt like a new creation. 
I literally, I just felt like, wow, I'm a new person. And I, it blew my mind because it was like one, it was all in the same day. I broke up with this girl like three in the afternoon, four o'clock. I felt like a different person. And what I've come to realize is that I, from that step, more faith was unlocked in my life. I then had faith that, I, oh, I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. And this is what we've been trying to just push you guys towards and trying to exhort you and exhort ourselves that acts of trusting God will unlock other levels of faith within us. Okay? Um, Luke, he preached on, you know, I'm kind of just re-preaching all their sermons. What I'm usually doing is I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's good, but here's how I'd say it. Or, oh, that's a good point, dad, but I think this would be a better way to say it. Or, Dave, I really like that, but hey, let me, I'm going to put it this way. I'm just kidding with you. That was supposed to be funnier. Um, so Luke preached, and he, his title was Faith to Dream Big. Who loved Luke's message? Who always here for it? That was an awesome message. Um, so encouraged me. It, it, uh, it's just exciting to hear someone talk about the big picture, you know? It's exciting. We need to be refreshed and renewed towards what's our mission, what's our goal as Christ followers. And Luke said a couple of really provocative statements that have stuck with me uh, since then, and I think a lot of you guys will remember them as soon as I read them. Luke said this. He said, we aren't waiting on God to come and change Cincinnati. He is waiting on us. He said, we're not waiting on God to come and do some move in Cincinnati and change everything. He's waiting on us to take hold of our identities, take hold of our authority and power, and to go out and love the community through him. He also said he wanted to give his whole life to making Cincinnati look more like heaven than hell. Isn't that a great paradox? How can we make, he how can we make Cincinnati look more like heaven than hell? If we're just thinking that way, if we're encountering every relationship, every circumstance we're in with, I have the opportunity to make this situation right here look more like heaven, or I can make it look a little bit more like hell. And when we love, when we forgive, when we pray for people, we're taking those steps to make it look more like heaven. You know, with the events um, that have been happening in our country, in our world the past couple weeks, I think the devil would really like us to believe that our world and that our city looks more like hell than heaven. And I think it, there's been moments where I've believed that. You know, the, all the events that happened two weeks ago, all the shootings, there's like barely words I have. That, that really got to me, you know. That usually um, kind of catastrophes or just attacks like that, for some reason they don't hit me on a heart level, but that stuff really did. It impacted my heart. There, there's not really like words I had to describe how I felt about all that that weren't like, you know, cussing basically. <laughs> like it was... That's horrible things that happen. My heart goes out to um, all the victims, all the families. But I really feel like the enemy has an agenda through all this. The enemy wants us to be fearful. He wants us to be confused. He wants us to be angry. He wants us to lose sight of his goodness, even in the midst of it. Um, and I think this is a perfect time for Vineyard Northwest, for this community to step out in love outside of these walls. You know, not for it to be a thing where we just come on Sunday mornings and we get encouraged and we get to worship and we get to spend time in God's presence. That's all positive. But, you know, like we want to be encouraged. We want to be filled with courage so that we leave here courageous. I want you guys to leave this, these doors. I want to personally leave this church every Sunday more courageous than I walked in. Courage that will make since I look more like heaven than hell. Um, you know, our healing on the streets ministry it's, we've been doing it for 10 Saturdays in a row now, and we're planning on doing it for about a million more Saturdays. Basically, until Jesus comes back, we want to be doing healing on the streets. And um, it's really gaining momentum. Like, seriously, change is happening in Cincinnati through healing on the streets. We go down to Over the Rhine every Saturday, set up in between two and four chairs, and then welcome people to come and sit down, and we'll pray for them to be healed. Yesterday... There was a kind of smaller team of us. We only had two chairs out. And uh, half the team, or three or four people, were praying for one person. They were sitting down in a chair, receiving prayer. And as they were praying for him, they kind of looked over their shoulder and noticed there was someone just standing by one of the chairs waiting to get prayer. That's pretty cool. Usually it's not like that. Um, but they're like, okay, amen. Like they just left that person and went over to the person that was waiting for prayer. Said, hey, what can you use prayer for? Do you want to take a seat? Person sat down and explained that they had um, like some kind of gum bacteria or like gum, not, not gum disease, but an infection in their gums and a bone spur was rising up under their tongue. So like an excruciating pain. 
because, they, because of their insurance, they couldn't get surgery until November. And um, just a horrible situation. They laid their hands on them, began to, just to tell that person how much God loved them, the amazing plan he had for their life, and that he was for them, not against them. He's not mad at them, but he loves them so much. And they said, you know, gums be healed, teeth, pain, we command you to leave right now in Jesus' name, amen. And they said, how's it feeling? And guess what he said? It's about an eight now. So we asked them, okay, if your pain was a 10 before, where is it at now? Zero is no pain, 10 is how it was. And he said, it's an eight. Not, not super extraordinary, right? But we know here at Vineyard Northwest that we can pray more than once, right? Our faith grows every time we say, nothing changed, I'm gonna pray again. Or it just barely changed, I'm gonna pray again. Every time we do that, our faith grows. So they said, let's pray again. They prayed again, the pain went down to a five. Prayed again, the pain went down to a two. Prayed again, no pain. All the pain just left. And he's, there's no pain left in his mouth, right? It's repetitive, yeah. Praise God. That's, that's Jesus doing, expressing himself through us. You know, that's what we're called to do as Christians is to represent Jesus, to represent Jesus to the world. Think of that. You are a representation. You are to represent your life, your actions are to represent Jesus, the Messiah, the healer, the lover to the world. You know, I was reading John 3 this week. I'm feeling really preachy this morning, okay? So I might just like throw these behind me at any moment and just go on a tangent. But in John 3, it says that Jesus did not come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. You know that the primary way God wants to communicate with the earth, the primary way the Father has chosen to communicate with humanity is through Jesus. That is, that is his primary mode of communication with humanity was his son. If his son didn't come to condemn the world, then no one ever has any business condemning the world. We don't have any business condemning the world. The Father's never condemning the world. You know what he is doing is he's saving the world. And you know that word save, salvation, heal? That, that's the same word as heal. In, in the Greek, it's sozo. What that means is to heal, to save, to deliver. Jesus was sent to save, to heal the world. We are being sent to heal the world from its brokenness, to love the world. I think that things are going to get better and better and better, not worse. Because there's like 300 people in this room right now that have Jesus inside them, and they're going to leave this room today filled with courage, representing Jesus to the world. How could the world not get better? How could the world not get better with you in your seat right now, knowing that you're not going to live the rest of your life in this room, that you're going to leave here? How could the world not get better? <laughs> Seriously, like, it's not even um, a stretch to be positive and optimistic. How much bigger and badder, badder is like good, you know? How much bigger and badder is Jesus than the devil? If Jesus is the sun, the devil is like a 10-watt light bulb, my friends, Okay. Jesus inside of you is bigger than those shootings, is bigger than ISIS, is bigger than whichever presidential candidate you don't like, okay? Jesus is bigger than all of that. Amen. Jesus in us, okay? So, another quick story. This is really cool. Two, two guys who are interns here at the church, Mark is one of them right here. Mark's an intern, just wave Mark. Um, he's an intern with the young adults, the young adults group, house group. I think Keenan's back there. These two guys went to Northgate Mall last Friday, so two Fridays ago, just to pray for people, love on people, to push back the darkness, to bring the light in Northgate Mall. And um, as they're doing that, they go, to the, they go to the jewelry store. They had felt like they had a word for someone in the jewelry store, end up praying for them. And then before they leave, they say, hey, they're praying for the actual like, workers in the jewelry store. And they said, hey, is it cool if we just pray that God blesses your business? Like, we just believe Jesus is for your business. He wants to bless it. Can we just pray for your business really quick? They said, yeah, of course. So they prayed a quick blessing, God, just more sales. Um, let this be a place of peace and relaxation. And just let the business grow and increase here in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple like that. They walk out. Oh, so Friday, Tuesday, they're back at it, doing power evangelism, going to the mall to pray for people. We call power evangelism, that's the kind of evangelism we do around here, okay? We want to do evangelism with the Holy Spirit's power, 
You know, no matter what kind of evangelism you're doing, we always want God's power to be a part of it. So whether you're just loving on your friends and doing, you know, like relational evangelism, servant evangelism, we always believe that God's power has a place in those, in those opportunities. So anyways, they're at the mall praying for people again. They say, hey, let's go back to the jewelry store and see how they're doing and pray for them again. They walk in and right away they're greeted with like smiles and like open arms by the salespeople. And they say, you guys are never going to believe it. On Saturday, we had like a record breaking day with sales. There was like so many sales. We were doing amazing business wise. So, and then today we've actually really been struggling. And our manager came to us and said, you guys need to get those young guys to come back in and pray for our business. <laughs> and they did. They came. So. Like, we're pushing back the darkness, guys. We have the devil on the run right now, you know? He wants us to feel fearful. He wants us to feel like things are getting worse. He's showing his end. He's scared. He's stirring things up so that we'll be scared. We just got to see past his plan, push ahead, start loving people. Just tell random people at Kroger and at the gas station that Jesus loves them. And you can just jump right back in your car if that's, like, kind of scary for you. But just take a risk today, okay? All right. Dave, he preached last week on faith to love. Um, he talked about the unconditional love of Hosea, how Hosea was just um, unconditionally loving people. He wasn't worried about how it affected him to love. He was more concerned about others. I think that's a word to us right now too. In, a moment, in moments of tra tragedy, uh, tragedy and um, turmoil and hardship, when we, we start to feel fear, we start to get confused, and we start to look inward. Okay, but last week Dave preached about love that looks outward, you know? We don't need to worry about defending our side and our opinion. We just gotta love people unconditionally. Tell them, hey, man, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened. We mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. We don't give rebuttals to those who weep, you know? We just love them. At the risk of being misunderstood, we wanna love, okay? At the risk of being misunderstood, we wanna love people. That being said, Dave also talked about having intentional boundaries in how we love. And it's important that we're not just uh, letting people repetitively walk all over us, so we actually set up boundaries. So it's a powerful message last week from Dave. I'd encourage you to uh, read or to listen to the podcast and listen to all the podcasts and just um, stay up to date with where we're going. But today, I was thinking, like, what the heck do I preach on? <laughs> we have a lot of awesome messages on faith. What should I talk about? I started kind of going through um, the Bible and thinking, what are the different, like, really powerful uh, passages on faith? So I just want to hit a couple of the ones with you that I was thinking about preaching on and um, just kind of, like, give you, show you guys the process I went through in, in forming the word I have for you this morning. So in Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. That's really good, right? Like, that's a message. <laughs> it's good to know that we're not saved through our works, but through God's grace, and that faith is actually a gift from him. That could be a really good message. Uh, Matthew 17, 20 says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. That's pretty good. You know, that's like a mountain moved. That's pretty powerful faith. I, I think I'd like to hear more about that. You know, a mustard seed is smaller than a period on a piece of paper. That's the measure. That's the kind of faith God's looking for. Basically just faith. You know, it does not have to be this big show, but he's just looking for our simple trust and faith, and then mountains will move. Don't... We, to me, that speaks to don't doubt what our little acts of love can do, you know? Smaller than a mustard seed can, can change a city and can ignite revival, you know? So, uh, Matt, that's faith to move mountains is kind of what I would preach on there. 1 Corinthians 2, 5, this is a really powerful, famous um, passage about faith. It says, so the, this is Paul. He's preaching to a, a church in, a Greek church in, in Corinth, and he says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Oh, I love that. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All right, I can't even say another word about that, or otherwise I'll get derailed. Um, James 2.17, maybe one of the most famous verses in the Bible about faith. It says, 
So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So faith without works is dead. So there's actually, you know, faith is more than just a belief and an internal thing. It's actually an expression. It's something we act on. Lots of good messages here, right? Some of the titles I came up with, I think um, these are going to get pulled up now. So Ephesians 2.8, faith to be saved could be one of the titles. Uh, Matthew 17.20, faith to move mountains. 1 Corinthians 2.5, faith for power. James 2.17, faith with works. Those aren't the ones that were hitting me. Here, I want to read you guys the passage that really has been like the kind of uh, mantra of my life the past couple months, the mantra of my wife and I's life the past couple months. And um, I hope this passage speaks to you because this is what's really speaking to me right now. And this is how, this is the main way I communicate with you guys is what is God speaking to me about? I'm going to share that with everyone else. So I hope it blesses you, okay? Luke 18, 1 through 8 says, And he told, this is Jesus speaking, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there is a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I don't know about you, but that provokes something in me. <laughs> to hear that question, will Jesus find faith on earth? It perks my ears up. Like, it, it, it makes my heart say, hey, it, it calls me to attention. It's like, a, it's like a statement that says, hey, pay attention right now. This is some, there's something to this. There's an intentionality we need to be thinking about with faith. And I think this passage really uh, paints for us a picture of what faith looks like. And what faith looks like here is perseverance. Faith to persevere. That's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning, okay? So not, um, not, not faith to be saved, faith to move mountains, faith for power, any of that. I want to talk about faith to persevere. We get a picture in this, in this passage of what perseverance looks like. Um, you know, like, so verses 1 and 8 kind of mirror each other. Verses one, verse 1 says, he told them a parable to the effect that they are always to pray and not lose heart. And then verse 8 says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So what is faith? What's the faith he's talking about here? To always pray and to not lose heart. Here he's talking about faith is always praying and not losing heart. If you're in a situation you need to persevere, focus your heart on always praying, not losing heart. What does that look like? There's an amazing couple in our church named uh, Aaron and Stephanie Ross. They lead the house group that meets in Northside. And um, they're, they're just an amazing couple. I don't think they're here for service. Maybe they'll come second service. They really like to sleep, so they might just listen to the podcast. But um, I'm just kidding with you. Uh, so Stephanie has two older sisters. And Stephanie's oldest sister, I believe it's her oldest sister, uh, she, she has had a really crazy pregnancy the past several months. At, it's, if I was to describe the pregnancy with one word, I would say it was a nightmare, okay? At 22 weeks, the baby was diagnosed with skeletal dysplasia. Do you guys know what that is? It's a, uh, it's a condition, it's like a genetic condition where there's a lot of deformities and there's basically like the limbs aren't forming pro properly. The extremities aren't forming properly. Um, at that point, at 22 weeks, the placenta was rupturing. You know, placenta is pretty important. <laughs> if there's not a placenta, it's going to be really... Plus, placenta feeds the baby, you know, so that's really, really important. And because of this, because they're worried about the placenta rupturing, they put her on bed rest. So for several weeks, she's just on bed rest. And on top of that, there's basically no amniotic fluid, no amniotic sac. So, I mean, like, this pregnancy is not looking good, okay? And at this point... Stephanie and Aaron are sending us all updates saying, hey, please pray. Every time I heard one of these new pieces of news, I was just like, man, like, how do I even pray right now? Like, this is, this is terrible. This is so hard. 
it was, <laughs> it was a real discipline to say, hey, I'm gonna keep praying, okay? Because you know, another thing that this, this passage in Luke 18 points out is that God isn't an unrighteous judge. You know, he's comparing it, this parable is comparing, saying if an unrighteous judge would do this, how much more will your God who loves you, who is good, who is, who is righteous, how much more will he answer your prayers? So holding on to that, say, okay, we gotta keep praying. At 26, week, at 26 weeks, they upgraded it to lethal skeletal dysplasia which what this meant was that the rib cage wasn't growing either. And that's, a really, that's really bad news. Um, there were no lungs. The lungs weren't forming because of this. The heart was very undersized. Um, but because it was still getting enough oxygen, there was still like a, you know, a tiny little glimmer of hope. So from 26 weeks on, it was probably pretty hard to keep praying, right? It'd be easy to, get, to lose hope at that point, to lose heart, you know? To start, to start wondering what's gonna happen. Well, every week, at every appointment, there was no change. We would pray, people were fasting, praying like constantly. Every appointment, no change, no change, no change. In fact, it was getting worse. There was no frontal lobe. Still, there was no lungs, but the frontal lobe of the brain wasn't developing. Still no sign of limbs. Twice at this point, they were encouraging her to, to end the pregnancy and to abort the baby for her health. Well... We kept praying. We didn't lose heart. At 35 weeks, they said, we, this can't last any longer. We ha like, if we don't do a C-section and, and deliver the baby right now, you're gonna, like, the mother is going to be an extreme risk. It's, it's, it's going to be really, really bad. We have to do a C-section and do this. So Stephanie sent out a text to all of us. She, she reminded us, hey, here's what's going on. Pray for lungs to form. Pray for a heart to form. The... Um, the, the heart or the, the lungs, the, the limbs aren't, they, don't, they haven't ever seen the limbs once in any of the sonograms, any of the ultrasounds, so please pray. They said there's a 99% chance this baby's not going to survive. 1% chance it's going to live. 99% fatality rate. They do the C-section, bring the baby out. First thing they hear is a loud cry, and they see a bunch of fingers. <laughs> This baby comes out with its heart, with lungs, breathing on its own, with a frontal lobe, totally fine. It had one less rib than normal. It had 11 ribs instead of 12. But it was totally, miraculously healed and whole. One of the, they, had a, they had a whole room full of doctors there, like ready to do all the different things, to take it to the NICU, to do all these different things to preserve the baby's life. And they were all like mad. They're like, why are we here? <laughs> this baby is fine. There was a specialist there who, who specialized in skeletal dysplasia. And she said in 30 years, she had never seen a baby survive skeletal dysplasia. She had never seen a baby live that had lethal skeletal dysplasia, Okay. That is what faith looks like. Always praying, not losing heart. No matter how bad it looks, no matter how bad it looks, we keep praying, we don't lose heart. <laughs> no matter how bad it looks, okay? Um, and there's something formed, us, formed in us in these times of perseverance. There's something formed, formed in us when we pray and we keep praying and we keep praying. We say, God, I believe you're good. I believe you're good. I'm not giving up. I'm gonna keep praying. This testimony, um, first of all, it's just amazing, right? Like, that makes you weak. <laughs> you can just sit and listen to that. Like, it's just, it's out of your, it's out of this world, you know? It blows my mind. It's, it's just a testimony of how good God is, you know? We look at that and we say, that is God's nature. That is who God is. We don't look at our disappointments <laughs> and, and, and define God. We look at that, and we say, that is who our God is. This has been something really um, hard for my wife and I to hold on to the past three months. You guys might have heard I announced um, in April that we were pregnant. Well, we went in for our, our first ultrasound on May 4th, and there was no heartbeat. So we go on May 4th, and there's no heartbeat. And um, man, that was hard. <laughs> That was really terrible. And they said the baby had actually regressed in development and that it had gone back to eight weeks. And um, we, that just like, you know, really <laughs> devastating, devastating news to hear. We went home, 
got our, um, our parents and our uh, friends over and we prayed and worshiped for two hours, went back to the, um, to the OB's office, got another ultrasound, no change, same thing. And um, it would have been easy at that point to say, hey, let's just, you know, get a DNC. Um, it, there's, there's no hope. Uh, I can't bear to pray, you know. It would have been really easy for Jen to say, I, I can't have this, like, you know, fetus that's not, has life in it in me for who knows how long. Like, let, let's just get, let's just solve this, right, you know. And just so there's no, like, that, that last story ended super well. This story doesn't end well. We ended up having a miscarriage and uh, passing the baby about a month ago. But at that point, after the ultrasound, we could have easily just said, hey, let's throw in, like, let's, let's start healing. Let's just give up. I mean, I want to be careful how I talk about this because I realize that there's probably, you know, like a good chunk of women in this room who've, who've uh, gone through something similar, a good chunk of families who've gone through this. And so none of, none of my story is a uh, commentary or a judgment on how anyone else has responded to that situation. I just want to talk to you from how we responded to it, okay? And how we had to be true to ourselves and how Wilson and Jennifer responded to this situation. Back in April, before this ultrasound, in the middle of the night, Jen woke up and I was sitting up. I wasn't awake. If you know me, you've maybe heard that I talk in my sleep like a ton. My dad is way worse than me. But um, I talk in my sleep a lot. I talk, walk. I do all kinds of stuff in my sleep. And she wakes up, and I'm sitting up, and I have my hand on her stomach, and I'm praying in tongues. And I'm saying, I just command life into this fetus. I release life into this fetus. In Jesus' name, life. And then I go, and just hit the sack, fall right back down, you know? The next morning, she tells me, do you know you did this? And I said, no. And um, we were kind of a little scared. We thought, maybe I was praying for your feet. <laughs> Let's just think I was praying for your feet. And I, I think we both knew what, what I was praying for. But at that point, we had no reason to believe anything was wrong with the pregnancy. Nothing, n no reason to believe anything was wrong. We thought everything was great. You know, we just thought that God's cool and he wants to bless our baby, you know. We come in for the ultrasound on May 4th, get that news. First thing we both think of is, hey, a month ago, God woke me up in the middle of the night to pray for you, and I don't even remember it. We can't give up. We can't give up right here. We have an opportunity to persevere. We have an opportunity to press into who God is. We have an opportunity to not lose heart and to always pray. And we could have said, we're not gonna take that opportunity. We don't, we can't, um, we can't handle that right now. And that, I think, I don't think that would have been wrong. I don't think that we would be less of people for doing that. I don't think we would have been sinning if we had um, just gotten a DNC and given up right then. But we saw that and we said, hey, here's an opportunity for us to grow in faith. Here is one of those big bag bosses. We're on level five in, you know, um, Super Mario Brothers. There's a big bad boss in front of us. Let's fight him and get on to level six. We looked at it like that. We said, we're not giving up. This is a life God has created. We're gonna push in. We're gonna keep praying. So for the next um, month and month and like a week, we didn't give up. We kept praying. We, um, we told people around us, pray for life. We don't want prayers for anything, but that life would be restored in this baby. We know that God has a plan for this baby. We know he loves it. God doesn't accidentally create life, you know? He has a purpose and a will always for all life that's created. God's not in the business of killing babies. <laughs> I just want you guys to know that. That's not God's um, heart. That's not God's intention. Imagine if Jesus had came to, imagine if we were alive during the time of Jesus and Jen had gone to him for prayer. He would have healed her, Okay. If Jesus walked into the room, that baby would have been restored for certain, okay? But we're walking in a time where we're still learning to walk like Jesus, okay? No one in this room that I know of is functioning and walking in the same direct power as Jesus, right? But we're pushing on. That's what we want to be. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to act like how he does. If you want to be like Jesus, you got to believe that Jesus is going to do something. So we said, hey, we're going to believe that Jesus is going to heal this baby, this was, this was a um, kind of confusing, weird place to be in, right? Like, we don't want to act like there's a heartbeat. You know, like, it, it felt, I, I really wrestled, what does faith look like in this circumstance? What does faith look like for me right now? Like, does it mean that I act like 
um, everything's okay and we just carry on? Does it mean that I need to just like start fasting and lock myself in a room and pray incessantly? Like, what does faith look like? This is the question I want to answer, okay? To kind of like, I'm probably going to go like five minutes over worship band, so just heads up. But um, for the next 10 minutes, I want to talk to you about how I think we're supposed to respond to crisis in order to grow our faith. All right? I want to talk about what we're supposed to do to respond to those hard moments, to those moments where we're presented with an opportunity to persevere. They're important. It's life-shaping, life-transforming moments when we get a chance to persevere. It's so hard. It sucks. I don't wish that on anyone. I, um, it, was, it was insanely hard what we went through, but it's an opportunity to grow in faith, to grow closer to Jesus, for Jen and I to grow closer together, and it's an opportunity for a miracle to happen. You know, we see that God does this. We see that God is in the business of healing babies and restoring and doing miraculous things. Imagine if Stephanie's family had just given up. If they just got an abortion, you know? Like, we, we can't give up when we're faced with a hard thing. We have to push on. We have to persevere. Even when it's confusing. Even when we lose our baby, but they don't. You know, that, that's pretty confusing to me. How come we, we pressed on, we prayed, and our baby didn't make it, but theirs did? You know what? Questions are good as long as they stay as questions like that, okay? Word of advice, when you have a question like that that seems so contradictory, you just can't understand it, leave it as a question. Let God give you an answer if he wants to and when he wants to. Don't force an answer. Like, this is why people, this is why we as a Christian culture have made God's sovereignty more understandable than his goodness, you know, it would be so easy to toss a cliche into Jen and my's life right now. It wasn't God's timing, or it wasn't God's will, or he was somehow protecting you. <laughs> that is stupid, okay? That is not true. That is not true. God's will is always life. He wants to bring hope and life. And when we don't see the manifestation of that, it doesn't change who God is, okay? Even a bad circumstance ending not well does not change who God is and what his character is like. What we're given to you to figure out what God is like, this is, this this is going to sound kind of confusing, so hold on with me for a second. This is not the main revelation of what God is like, okay? Jesus is the main revelation of what God is like. Finding Jesus in here is the revelation of what God is like, all right? So in the most clear depictions of Jesus' life, we always saw him heal people. We never once saw him say, hold off, I'm going to come back next week. If you have started being patient, then I will heal you of leprosy. That never happened, right? He always healed people. So that is what we focus on. We focus on that truth that we see. So um, I want to just turn with me to Daniel, or look on the screen, or get your iPhone out, or whatever. But um, I want to answer this question, what does faith to persevere look like? We see an amazing, hey, I just want to tell you guys, thanks for letting me be real with you. I, I like the fact that I feel, the fact that I feel comfortable sharing this with you says something about me, but also says something about you, okay? So I, I love this church. I love this family. You guys really are my family, and I always want to put my heart out before you. You know, because that's what, that's what this room is about. It's about people who can put their hearts out in front of other people so that they can be healed, so that they can be loved on. Um, so I'd encourage you to, to be vulnerable, to love on others, to lower your water line, you know. Healing comes. Jesus said that, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, we all want to be comforted, but we don't all necessarily want to mourn. <laughs> but it's mourning that then opens us up to receiving God's comfort. So... Okay, what does faith to persevere look like? There's two things I want to pull out from this story. It's Daniel 3. This is a story about three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in a place called Babylon. This is, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus comes onto the scene in the biblical era. There are three Israelite dudes who are taken in captivity. We don't need to bring that up yet. Don't bring that up yet, so no one's looking at me. Um, so they, uh, these guys are taken into captivity, and... They're forced to, like, they're, they're trying to force them into their, these pagan customs of the Babylonians to worship their gods. They have a totally, incredibly sociopathic psychopath for a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Hands down, one of the craziest people in the Bible, probably one of the craziest people to ever live, Nebuchadnezzar, totally just full of himself and just a real crazy guy. He decides, hey, I'm going to build this enormous gold statue 
and dedicate it to myself and force everyone to worship it, okay? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three righteous young men from Israel say, hey, we're not doing that. And it was especially risky for them because they're actually part of the king's special elect magicians and um, like, uh, like um, dream interpreters. They were like part of the king's inner council. And so for them to say, hey, no, we're not doing that. We're not worshiping that idol was like very risky. They weren't just risking their lives or they weren't just risking their positions of authority. They were risking their lives. But how they respond so speaks to me and so confirms to me the way that Jen and I have responded. And I just want to let, invite you guys into, into what I've seen here. So in Daniel 3, verse 13, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before them, before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall, be immediately, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? What's happening here? The enemy is just pushing everything he can at them. He's saying, not only when the enemy attacks us, it's like an onslaught, right? Like who's experienced that before just been? wow, I can't get a break. It's like the enemy is pushing everything at me. He's really throwing it in their court. He's really turning up the heat, you know? No, no pun intended. The Bible nerds got that joke. Okay, so 16. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We're not gonna read the rest of the passage. We go on, um, he says, okay, you're not gonna worship, throws them in the fiery furnace. And as soon as they get in there, Nebuchadnezzar's like stunned. And he's like, what the heck, what's going on? Um, there's a fourth person. Didn't I only throw three people into the fiery furnace? Didn't I only throw three people in here? There's a guy in there that's like walking around with them, brings them out. The fourth guy doesn't come out. The fourth guy is either like the angel of the Lord or Jesus. Somebody sent to rescue and save Shadrach, Meshach, and Mendigo. They're all totally saved. They don't even smell like smoke. That's how much God rescues them, okay? But they didn't know that was going to happen, <laughs> right? They, and, and their response even shows that they acknowledged they didn't know that was going to happen. And that's my first point that, or that's my only point. How does faith to persevere, what does faith to persevere look like? It looks like not denying the facts, but not letting the facts define God. Faith to persevere looks like not denying the situation you're in, but not letting your situation become to you a representation of who God is. And it's easy to do that. When things get hard, when things get worse, we start to project that on God. It's just kind of like the whole, what I was talking about earlier with his sovereignty, we start to attribute it to his nature and who he is. That's not what we're supposed to do. And we see that they didn't do that. Um, in verse 16, I love their response. It says, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You know what they're saying? We can just rest. Saying, hey, we don't even need to answer you. If you're, in, if you're persevering, if you're in a trial, rest is so key. Understanding that you don't have to win the war. You have to trust God to win the war. If you don't do that, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to get really sweaty. You're going to spit a lot and stuff. But who knows if it's going to make any difference. It's, the, it's resting in God that sustains you. Okay? Jen and I, we were intentional this past two months about resting extra. And it has paid off big time. It's, I think it's the reason I'm able to stand up here right now and share my heart with you guys. You know, because we've rested, we paced ourselves, we trusted God, we didn't run from it, we mourned for two months, and then you know, a conclusion happened. By the way, we named the baby Jacob, so we decided to name the baby was Jacob, but we, um, we kept going, and that resting is what has sustained us. I still think we need a vacation, so uh, just to let you guys know that, but um, resting is so key. Now, I'm going to hit on this second point, and then in just a minute, I'm going to welcome the worship band to come out. Sorry, I'm kind of rushing through my main point of this. But uh, also, by the way, 
I just appreciate you guys' sympathy. I can tell, like, you guys are really empathetic and sympathetic to me and to Jen. I really appreciate that. One thing I would say is it would be great if there wasn't, like, 50 people that came up to Jen after the service and said how sorry they were or hugged her or told them about their experience. Um, that's just not super helpful to either of us. I really appreciate your sympathy. You know, you can give me a hug and you can walk by and like wave, but if you guys just kind of like give Jen some space, she'd super appreciate that, especially the fact that she's singing up here. I think she'd rather be at home right now. But um, yeah, isn't it amazing? She, the weekend we had that ultrasound, she came up here and she led worship. That same weekend, okay? So she's amazing. I'm, <laughs> she has been the rock. I'm very, very lucky, very blessed to be married to her. But so, faith to persevere doesn't deny the facts, but it doesn't let the facts define God. Listen to what they say in 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace. It says he is able. Now, the really strong, spiritual, amazing thing to do would be to say, he will save us. But they don't know that. That isn't the reality of their situation. They were dealing with where they were actually at, okay? That is so key to grow in faith, is to recognize where you currently are. Don't deny reality. If things are hard, acknowledge they are hard. Let that actually be a defining point to who God is. If we just deny that things are hard, we'll start, we won't healthily process the hard things and we'll start getting wounded and doing weird things and developing weird theology. But when we acknowledge this is where I'm at, this is reality, this is what's happening, it actually opens up our heart to see from God's perspective. When we deny reality, we can't see God's perspective because God sees reality. <laughs> God sees the situation. He sees what you're going through. If you pretend you're not going through something, then you're gonna lose and you're not gonna be able to pay attention to what God is saying and what God is thinking in his heart for the situation. Okay, now, verse 18, this is my last point. It says, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I feel like the, the heart of what they're saying here is, no matter what you do to us, it will not change our relationship with God. No matter what happens here, it's not gonna change the fact that we only worship God. And what, this comes from a place where our faith isn't focused on circumstances. Our, foth, our faith isn't focused on what we hope to happen. Our faith is focused on a person. Our faith, if Jesus is the perfecter and author of faith, then we're supposed to focus our faith on him, not on what is going to happen. We focus our faith on who he is, not on what could happen. Okay, so just to review, like I said, I don't have a really clean landing. I'm gonna welcome the worship band to come back out um, or to come on out to lead us. So actually, I'm gonna welcome Amanda up in the worship band. Just to review, faith to persevere, it looks like resting. It looks like always praying. It looks like not giving up hope. Not giving up hope that God is good, that he wants the best for you. And it looks like not denying the facts, but not letting the facts define God. Okay, I'm gonna pray for you guys and then we're gonna get some time to respond in worship. So Father, we love you so much. We just bring ourselves before you right now, every bit of ourselves, every hurt thing we've ever experienced, we bring that before you. Every victory we've ever experienced, we bring that before you. And we just put you above all of that. We just say you're bigger than the best thing that's ever happened to us and you're bigger than the worst thing that's ever happened to us. Fix our eyes this morning, God, on how big you are and how amazing you are. We love you so much. Amen.